It's a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that can be so powerful it can stop a war in its tracks. A peace that can be so healing it can bring warmth to even the most frozen of all places. The peace that is God with us. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. This week, Pastor Jason talks about the fourth week of Advent and how giving peace a chance changes you and it changes everyone and everything around you. God-sized peace is God with us. Let's check it out right now. It's a wonderful commercial that came out in 2014 to celebrate the 100 years of the Christmas Eve truce in World War I, 1914. True story. And it shows, I think, in a powerful way, the power of peace. God-sized peace. And that's what we're talking about today. I have a promise to make for you. You're going to love this. I'm going to give you the secret to living a life of peace. Always. I, I'm totally not overselling it either. You're going to walk out of here with the secret to living with God-sized peace every single day of the rest of your life. Now, you know, let me unpack that a little bit. If you haven't been with us in this journey through Advent, we've been talking about Advent is a season that celebrates How do we live in a time of waiting? If you think about it, I I remember when I was a kid, I didn't understand Advent. Of course, I wasn't really a Christian, so there's that. But I didn't understand that it's like, well, wait a second. I thought Jesus already came. Like, why do we every year talk about him coming and celebrate him coming? I mean, I get Christmas, but I don't get Advent. Well, it's because as Christians, we're looking forward to two things. The first is the next Advent, the next Time that Jesus comes and he makes everything new, makes everything right, recalibrates all of creation itself to the rhythm of his heart. In the meantime, I think there's the advent that we live every single day. Every one of us, when we walk in here this morning, we're waiting on Jesus to show up in some area of our lives. Some of you, that's what drove you here today, is that you are waiting on God to show up. And so really what Advent is, it's about exploring what does it look like to live faithfully in the time of waiting. Some of you are waiting on a job opportunity, hoping God's going to show up, show you the way. Some of you are waiting on a family relationship. It's that time of year. Anyone need God to show up in your family relationship? Uncle James is going to be there, honey. I can't take it. I need God to show up. Maybe you're looking for God to show up in your finances. You don't know how you're going to get from here to there. You're waiting for God to show up. So I think Advent has everything to do with living the Christian life. And what have we said so far? We talked about hope. That God-sized hope is about living in a spirit of not maybe. If God says it, it will be. And the next was talking about God-sized love. That we have to receive it. We must accept it. Accept what we do not deserve. And that's a bigger hurdle for more people than you might think. I have a lot of people that say, yeah, it's too easy. 
man, I just accept this like unconditional love. I, there's got to be, it's got to be a catch. But it's about accepting God-sized love. And then last week we talked about God-sized joy. We did the joy cycle, the human joy cycle and the God joy cycle and how you can experience joy because it's not something that you achieve, it's something that you receive. And now we're talking about peace. I mean, this is that time of year. We're talking about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And um, I remember growing up, this is not a political statement in any way, so don't get me wrong, but my mom was just a huge Beatles fan. That was really her religion, the Beatles, Paul McCartney. And I remember uh, every once in a while the John Lennon song would come, all we are saying is give peace a chance, right? And I'd hear that and I'd be like, what is that all about? Well, let me tell you, you know, she'd tell me about the 1960s, and I'd be like, okay, you know, just wash over me. But I was talking about giving peace a chance. Maybe that's more appropriate than I thought. Maybe if we all gave God-sized peace a chance in our lives, we might find that we are transformed by it. Peace. This is the season where we're talking about peace on earth. And there are different kinds of peace, right? There's kind of a communal peace. A peace where we're all together. I think about um, one year we went to uh, Disney World at Christmas. Like, if it wasn't enough to give money away at Christmas, we gave it to Disney as well. <laughs> Sorry, all you Disney fans. I, it was great. But anyway, the, uh, but they have the Osborne family Christmas. And I was informed by our, our number one Disney fan in the church, I think, that they were from Arkansas. This family that had this, like, crazy huge light display, and then they turned it into part of Disney. Yikes, I mean, they were committed. So they turned it apart, and, and it was, it's this part where, like, you know, they got the lights, and you see it over there, peace on earth, and it's, they got snow falling in Orlando. I mean, it's just this beautiful, picturesque thing, and I noticed everybody's just kind of staring up at the lights. And I knew this was something special, because if this happened in New York, we'd all be instinctively clutching our wallets as we looked up <laughs> at the lights. But it wasn't like that. It was kind of like this sense of, communal peace. We're all, in, we're all living somehow in this harmonious moment. So there's that kind of peace. Then there's the inner peace, the emotional peace that happens and can happen at Christmas. I remember as a kid, so I was a weird kid. I'm just throwing that out there. Please, no comments. I was a, I was a very introverted. My brain was where I lived most of my life. And I, at Christmas time, my biggest sense of feeling emotional peace was I used to climb under the Christmas tree and lay and look up through the lights in the branches. And for me, I mean, I'd lay in there for a long time. <laughs> My mom would come out, like, you okay? Do you need something to drink? Like, you all right? But for me, it was just one of those moments where I had an emotional peace. In other words, a feeling of peace. So there's that kind of peace too. Then for others of us, we experience peace when it's like, you know, I go away and I sit on a beach somewhere and I'm experiencing peace. I got my feet in the sand, I'm listening to the waves uh, lap, you know, lap on the shore. And that's when I'm feeling maybe physical peace, like I'm, oh, I'm at rest. Or even a sense of like a spiritual peace, like I'm, something is happening that's healing inside of me. There's all these different kinds of peace. And we go chasing after it all the time. The problem is, with our human version of peace, we can't string enough moments together to feel like we're living by peace all the time. 
We could go on a lot of vacations. I'm like, maybe if I just plan my vacations right, I'll live with peace this year. The problem is, is that this human sense of peace is, again, it's temporary. It's like a warm bath. It, it comes and it goes. And we have these fleeting moments of these different types of peace. But I feel like chasing after that peace is more stressful than the peace I'm trying to find. Think about how much of your life is about chasing after peace. And what is peace? But it's the absence of conflict. And experiencing peace is like this letting go of conflict in our lives. But the problem is conflict keeps showing up. Like the Christmas truce in 1914. I mean, I love that shot. That's an actual picture of them having their soccer game. And could you imagine, first of all, you're in the middle of World War I and it's, they're singing Christmas carols all night and they show up the next day and they have this moment where they connect and they bond and they have a moment of peace and you see joy. I mean, the fact that a game broke out, they were waiting for that peace for so long. Could you imagine though how hard it must have been for them to take up arms again when the fighting started? I feel like it's like that with God's peace. Once you taste God's peace, it's really hard to pick up arms again and start chasing after it in a human way. That's the difference. God's peace is something else entirely. All the other peace that we experience is derivative of the peace that we have in God. And I'm going to explain why that is and how we receive it. Peace happens when we let go of conflict. So what does God-sized peace look like? What does it look like to experience God-sized peace in our lives? Well, I think we got to go back. We've been looking at the prophecies of Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, and he has been talking about the coming of Jesus 700 years before. I can't get my head around how long that was. I feel like five years, a lot can happen. How many of you, your life has changed completely in about five years, right? Crazy. So 700-ish years before Jesus comes. But in order to understand this moment in history, we have to unpack it a little bit. Because we're not, I don't know, you might be all up on your ancient Israel history. I had to look it up. So I'm going to share with you what I found. In this time in Israel's history, they're a divided kingdom. The north and the south, Israel and Judah. And both of those territories are going to get conquered by the Assyrians. Basically, stronger, more powerful people were always coming up and conquering them from this point on. And the Assyrian army, which was the most devastating army, they attacked the northern kingdom first. And that northern kingdom, there are two cities up there. They have kind of funny names to us, Nephtali and Zebulun. They were the northernmost territories. And that body of water there is the Sea of Galilee. They were the ones that when the Assyrians attacked, they took the brunt of the attack, those two towns. They were absolutely decimated. And Isaiah says, even earlier, he says, Zebulun and Naphtali, they will be thrust into utter darkness. The darkness, as dark as it gets, in the slaughter that happened with the Assyrian army. And this whole first part of Isaiah is all about doom and gloom. And then it turns... It turns when it starts talking about, and yet, God's going to make a way. God's going to show up. God will still be with you. I know you've been waiting. God is going to show up. 
And so let's take a look at that passage. This is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. This prophecy about God showing up. Nevertheless, right? There's a turning point. Nevertheless, even though they're in utter darkness, nevertheless, I feel like the thought just occurs to me right now. How many of us need to live with a nevertheless kind of spirit? I know things are bad. I know that I've been in utter darkness in some areas of my life. Nevertheless, God is going to show up. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There's another place in Isaiah where he talks about all creation will be in peace when all is made right again. That uh, There's that famous passage, you've probably heard it, where the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child will reach their hand into the viper's den and not be bit. That all creation itself will be living in peace It's that kind of crazy, cosmic, over-the-top, God-sized peace that we have access to right now. If peace is the eradication of conflict, emotional, spiritual, physical, it's an idea that is basically summarized by the ancient Israel term shalom. Shalom, you've heard that before too, shalom. What does shalom mean? It actually, and in the way that Jesus said shalom to people is, Jesus said it as if it had a physical quality. He would talk about peace resting on people. May God's peace rest on you. A a peace that you can feel in your bones. A peace that never goes away no matter what conflict is happening in your life. And that's really the difference, right? To experience God-sized peace, you have to experience it from the inside out. That's why we get so tired chasing after peace, because it's not meant to be chased after. It's meant to be received. And when we have this peace, this overwhelming peace, then it translates to our hands and feet. Then it translates and emanates out to the rest of our lives. But this peace starts with God. It is both communal and individual. And when you taste it, you don't want to keep fighting anymore, because the peace is so sweet. And so to have God-sized peace, that's where it begins. It begins with peace with God. That's what it means to have peace. I'll put it this way. If you do not have peace with God, you're not going to experience peace like you can in the rest, every other part of your life. You could string a whole bunch of peaceful vacations together. 
but you will not experience God-sized peace because that's where it all starts. It starts with this relationship. Instead of our back in a position where we're turned away from God, we turn to God. And this peace transforms us. It rests on us. You see, it's the sin that separates us from God. It's like a chasm. We were all born in this state of separation because of how sin's broken human relationships. It's like God created us to be together and we said, no thank you. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to make my own decisions. I want to know what you know. And then I'll take it from there. Thank you so much for creating me. You're the best God. Hashtag awesome. But I'm, I'm going to go on and I can figure out my life from here. And then of course you can't figure out And the reason you don't experience peace is because sin separates. But Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is how we get from where we are in sin to the peace of God. That our faith in Jesus helps us get across that chasm like nothing else possibly can. Romans 5, 1 through 2 puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have Gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This this is the piece I didn't understand at first. I I was, uh, a lot of you know my story, but I believed that God wasn't the answer. That I would just find peace chasing after it. You know, if I had the right job, if I had the right relationships, if I went to the right college, if I picked the right career, whatever it was, that these were the things that were going to give me peace in my life. It was about striving. And, you know, we, we've been honest before in this conversation. I'm a little bit of an overachiever. So I had those issues that if I just achieved enough, I would achieve peace. I suspect some of you are like that. And the result was that I was completely miserable. And I felt lost. I felt like I couldn't achieve enough peace. Just when I thought I'd achieved it, over one mountain, all of a sudden there was another mountain to climb. It was never ending. I could never just finally be at rest. To to have my soul just kind of looking up through the Christmas tree, being at peace. I, I didn't have that at all. And it wasn't until I came into a relationship with Jesus and his shalom rested on me that it changed everything. It's not like every other day of my life has been peaceful. I mean, I have kids too. Challenges come up in life. But there's a peace that has not left me. No matter what. I really saw it in my mom. My mom was really angry when I came to faith in Jesus, my, and, and I had a, I mean, I was, she was my best friend, so I had a really great relationship with my mom, but she was really angry. In fact, we joke about it now in, in my house uh, with her sister, my aunt, who, who says, yeah, when you came home that day to tell your parents that you were a Christian, if you would have said you were a drug dealer, they would have responded better <laughs> than the way. It was whatever, something about, it was a trigger for them. They were very angry against church, angry against Christians. I don't know what happened exactly in their life to make them that angry, but they were. And when I said I was a Christian, it was like, you are not to speak a word of this in this house 
or you're not welcome here anymore. And what I noticed was even when times were good in my family, my parents were miserable. They were chasing after peace. Constantly, never stop, chasing after peace. Never ultimately finding it. And that leads to anger and stress, bitterness. Oh, bitterness. When you start looking around and be like, oh, those other people seem to have peace. Why don't I get any? And then that turns to blaming God. Well, God, thanks a lot. She was angry. And then, of course, when, when our lives kind of fell apart, when she started to get sick, and then the whole situation with my stepdad, and it's a big, long, ugly story. But the bottom line is, she came to faith in Jesus. And she went from not having any peace to being full of peace, even though her physical body continued to waste away. She had peace for the first time in her whole life. You see, the peace of God doesn't change life. Things still happen. We still have ups and downs. But the thing is, when you have access to this over-the-top supernatural peace, it transforms you. That's the thing, is that Jesus isn't just like a great inspirational figure. I think if you were to ask most people on the street and you said, who is Jesus? They would say, he was a really great man who lived a really good life. Who has inspired millions. That's barely true. He is the prince of peace. Who transformed all created reality. Because he went to the cross. And paid the price of sin. For the entire world forever and ever. And all we have to do to cross that chasm. Is to put our faith in him. God-sized peace begins with peace with God. And then it has a ripple effect. Then you do experience inner peace. You do experience that emotional sense of peace. We see this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Oh man, doesn't it? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? It's like a physical thing. Like the peace is guarding your heart and your mind. The peace is guarding against whatever else is going on in your life. You can still have peace no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're going through. And isn't that what we've been chasing for anyway? I think that's part of the problem is that peace is not something we chase after. It's something that's given. And of course we look forward to the peace to come. Jesus put it this way in John 16. He said, I have told you these things. Now imagine he's saying that to you. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's about transformation. It's about experiencing, as we've been talking about, the kingdom of God. Experiencing the kingdom of God in your heart. 
and letting it translate into the rest of your life. That the Prince of Peace can be the king of your heart. And give you a peace that passes understanding. Hey, all we are saying is give peace a chance. But to remember that that comes to us because God is with us.